Welcome back to another episode of Shanghai, the city that never eats. Shanghai is indisputably one of the world's culinary capitals. But do you remember that time when it went on a diet? And we're not talking about Atkins or keto here. I'm your host George Pavavasiliu, and in this limited podcast series, I'll be chatting with people who experienced house arrest during Shanghai's month-long lockdown, and how they were getting, or more accurately, not getting food during that time. Think of this as creative protest, if you will. So take a seat, grab your favorite snack, and listen to us hangrily complain while trying to survive a real-life version of the Hunger Games. You know, we've all seen one movie or another where the protagonist gets sent to jail, and personally, I've never failed to be impressed by just how many of these movies end up with the protagonist kind of emerging from that period completely jacked. You know, imagine you get sent to prison for whatever crime you committed, and in that time, you're somehow able to get into the best shape of your life, as you have. Very little else to do except eat, work out, and be in your cell. I mean, the idea is almost attractive, considering you don't need to pay anything, all of your meals are prepared for you, and you even have someone constantly reminding you of keeping to your schedule, like it's some kind of fitness resort. It's even impossible to smuggle in any kind of snacks that would break your diet. Of course, all of this ignores the fact of constant violence and psychologically oppressive conditions, but you get the point. So when Shanghai started its lockdown at the end of March, I was kind of positive, thinking, "Hey, this isn't so bad. It'll be a good chance to have more time to dedicate to my fitness." I mean, in normal times, I consider myself a pretty active person. I regularly go to the gym. I practice indoor rock climbing and swimming. I even do Brazilian jiu-jitsu once a week. But these are not exactly the type of activities that you can do on your own at home. We all know that one person who kind of does push-ups and jumping jacks anywhere, anytime, but that's not really me. I did pack on a few kg during the winter holidays, so I figured maybe around February I should start thinking about losing them and getting in shape for the summer. So I started looking into buying a stationary bike. Now I know what you're thinking: worst investment ever. You'll use it for a few days or weeks, and then it will literally become a stationary bike. Ironically, I did end up buying it secondhand from someone who never actually ended up using it. It was going to be the perfect addition for my rubber bands and ab roller that were gathering dust somewhere in my apartment. But when the lockdown rolled in, I suddenly found myself in the ideal situation to lose some weight and get in shape. A piece of workout equipment, check. Impossible to order snacks and takeout, check. Reducing calories to make supplies last longer, check. And of course, I am by no means the only one. I actually read a recent survey that was going around asking people whether they had gained or lost weight during the epidemic, and I was not surprised to see that most people, in fact, hadn't gained weight. They had lost a few pounds, or maybe they had actually even stayed the same. As much as anyone wanted to stress eat junk food while binge watching Netflix, there were not too many options for snacking available. In our apartment, at least, stress eating options were limited to celery, potatoes, carrots, and other kind of veggies when we could rarely get them. Of course, on the occasion that we did manage to find some kind of sweet, 
we'd have to share it between the four of us. Like that one time we found an ice cream bar at the back of the freezer, only to realize that we would only get a single bite out of it by the time we divided it into four. Now obviously this new way of life was not without its benefits because it worked wonders on my midsection. And between the regular cycling sessions on the secondhand stationary bike and the constant calorie deficit, I managed to lose a good solid 5 kilograms in a single month. But despite this success, I started realizing that many of the activities I was previously doing were not actually just ways of staying fit, but they actually helped me to stay social by connecting with other people through shared interests and hobbies. Of course, I did try to take part in some online fitness classes. You know, the kind where everyone has to turn on their camera and people's connection is at different speeds and everyone's trying to follow along and it's just an overall mess, but it didn't really do it for me. So when I think about the difference of actually being in prison, I think that inmates at least have the benefit of company, you know, the jailers and the other inmates. But I really feel bad for anyone in Shanghai who is not living with family, significant others or roommates because the pressure could be quite real and demoralizing. With that said, I'd like to invite our guest for today's episode. Emma has been a longtime resident of Shanghai and she's much more athletic than most people I know. Let's see how she's been managing to cope with the lockdown. Hi, Emma. How are you doing? Hello. I'm okay. How are you? I'm about as good as can be given the circumstances, but why don't you briefly introduce yourself before we get into it? I am Emma. I'm South African. Um, I've lived in China for 10 years in total. I'm in the luxury industry in Shanghai. I did move. Um, I was in New York for three years in between, but altogether, it's been ten years. Okay. Well, obviously, you are like everyone else. You've been under lockdown, I imagine, for the past how long? Almost a month. Almost a month. So nearly coming up on thirty days, right? Thirty-one days. Yeah. Whereabouts in Shanghai do you live? I live in Huangpu, which is, um, and then basically, I'm on the edge of the French concession. Tell us a little bit about how the lockdown has been for you. Uh, I think um, probably anybody in lockdown goes through phases. The beginning phase, we were told that we'd be locked down for five days. So that time was, um, I mean, before then, we'd received, there were rumors that this lockdown would be uh, a big lockdown. So everyone was like rushing for food. And so there was a lot of panic and it was kind of hard to work and stuff at that time because everyone was focusing on food and all the stores were basically empty and you had to grab anything you could get. But I kept thinking in my mind, oh, this isn't real. You know, this is just uh, everyone's just being too dramatic. They're taking things too seriously. I thought to myself, I was in denial, I think. So I gathered supplies for five days and then we went into lockdown and I was like, okay, well, after five days, it's going to be over. So I was very, very positive and it was kind of fun. It was almost like camping. You know, like just an interesting adventure. <laughs> but when the five days ended and suddenly this thing got extended, then then I started to go into, uh, I was incredibly angry and I got into fighter mode. I think that was actually um, where I started to become really aggressive. And my way of reacting, which probably isn't right, but I think just from a human perspective, it was just what it was. For example, when the volunteers came and gave us like a, 
I think it was probably a week in or something. So after the first five days, I was just very angry at everyone around me. I saw, and I was I was kind of um, very unstable. And then I think it was like a week in, and we had, and suddenly food supplies started to teeter because if you'd only stayed for five days, and suddenly you have like no meat and no vegetables and no milk, um, and suddenly you only have like water and a few, like you know what I'm saying. Then you start to kind of freak out and. They gave us, the government gave us, I think, a bag of vegetables um, and they were just all rotten. It was just slime inside the bag. And I just literally threw it back in the face of the guy dressed in white. We call them big whites. Just Mm -hmm. like threw it back in his face. I just said to him, I will not eat this. And so that kind of um, pride, that ego, I think, um, really kicked in. And usually I'd lived here for so many years. I thought I was incredibly like a uh, local, but suddenly like the foreigner part of me just became really strong. Like that kind of, um, fighter mentality just came back. And I kept that fighting mentality, I think probably for, for weeks or something, you know, and I was really unpleasant to be around and, um, really aggressive, really rude to the, to the workers and, you know, just not nice to be around. But then as time goes on, you start to realize that absolutely everybody is in the same situation. And um, suddenly you start hearing around you, like downstairs, because I live in an old, old house. Um, formerly it was a mansion, but then it was split up um, into many different households. And you can hear everything that everyone says next door. And then I just heard like this person downstairs just saying, oh my God, I have no food. How do I get food? And it was a genuine fear. And then I heard like this old man above me and he's kind of, you know, in his late 80s just saying, shouting like I need food I need food I don't have enough and suddenly I started to realize oh shit like this is real there are people that here because in my in my uh, old complex it's completely old people they don't have cell phones and you know everyone at that point was starting to um, do group buys and and buy online and obviously the kind of people who were really smart used to wake up at like five in the morning and and they we call it chang tai like steal food basically um that's what it means mm-hmm. and I I think if, if you don't have a phone you have no way of stealing food And I mean, if you'd stayed for five days, you definitely have nothing. And suddenly I started to realize that I had resources that I could use that could be helpful to other people. Basically, on those group buys for all the old people that didn't have food, I would buy extra and give to them. Or if I had clients because of my industry, and thank God they're so beautiful, these people who would um, reach out to me because of their relationships and say, hey, listen, I have food. And then I would get that food and then I would um, share it with people around me. And then I started to feel a sense of responsibility to my building because something scary happened. I think it was like in the second week or something that we got police tape over the bottom door, which means that there's somebody with COVID inside our house. And they never communicated who it was. Obviously, you're not allowed to go outside, but everyone, you know, because there's like no strict reinforcement, you can still come out of your room and like walk around, you know, but you were never told who had COVID. So like you could have been talking all the time to somebody who had COVID. You know what I'm saying? So that was like really scary because suddenly I started to get like angry again. I was like, what the fuck? If this person has COVID, you need to tell us. But I think it's a part of faith, you know, because it's a bad thing to have COVID. And then slowly but surely, because I'd given food to everybody, they start to like not rely on me, but trust me more. Because before that, I was like a foreigner that nobody spoke to. It just basically talked behind my back the entire time. They, they still call you foreigner, you know, they never call you like by your name or anything. So then they started to secretly tell me the gossip and be like, yeah, okay, upstairs, the third floor, this, this, this person has. So then, of course, you start to be more careful. You go through phases where 
you feel really brave, you go to phases where you want to fight back, you go to phases where you're very, very like chilled, you know, like when you're meditating and, and everything, reading and, and trying to get in touch with yourself again. Um, and then you obviously go through phases of depression because you know that there's nothing that you can do. For example, recently, you know, there are a lot of buildings where people um, are screaming from their windows mm-hmm. in protest. And then on WeChat, people are sending um, videos and stuff of the stuff that's going on. And these videos keep on being taken down when people are trying to express what's going on is wrong. Like people don't disagree with the fact that they want to like control the virus. But when it's not scientifically proven what they're doing and when they aren't reinforcing it in, in these routine ways, they like, and in many ways, it's very loose. People are unhappy and they are speaking about it. And these, and I think um, when you see just how trapped you are and how no matter what you do, nothing will change, you do start to get depressed, right? So you do sleep a lot and like sometimes you go into a very dark place. But then you realize you can't stay there because no one will help you if you're there, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, I think if you speak to anybody, they'll have these, 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 these um, ups and downs about how they're doing, you know? I guess maybe one thing, um, one thing that I want to hone on in a little bit more is how you develop this kind of relationship with your neighbors in your own community. Because you've told us that you're actually mm-hmm. living in um, a lane house, right? Yeah. So basically, um, this is actually quite beautiful. Um, these old houses, um, like from the 1920s, and at the time there were um, foreigners, I think, who, who, who lived in them. And then later on... Um, I think before the Cultural Revolution, even during the Cultural Revolution, all these houses were like split up into different houses and different rooms and they're government um, owned. Um, and everybody basically lives in them for a very, very low amount of money. Um, and, um, you know, initially, because I am very, very busy in my job, I'm, I practic- I only sleep here. So I didn't know everybody's name. And ultimately, it was just hello, goodbye um, to my neighbors. But when you're locked into the house together with them, and when I'm finally here for a longer amount of time, um, suddenly, you know, who hangs up their washing at what time becomes an issue, right? And and who cooks food that smells bad becomes an issue. And, uh, and you know, the inquisitivity happens. Like, if people are starting to be more inquisitive about you. Like, you know, what are you eating? And how do you live? And things like that. And um, I think uh, the thing that really started to open the relationship up um, was me giving food to them. Because I think initially they thought that I was just this foreigner who lived here who only cared about themselves and they never really saw me. But then when I think I, I just, because it was my instinct to help people, I just like started to do like just to share what I had and I didn't want money for it or anything. I just, I just wanted to like make sure that everyone was okay. I think they realized, oh, actually that she's quite nice and, and, and we can actually um, speak with her. And then... Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it's quite beautiful. Like you know, in, it was this generation of Chinese people were talking about their like in their fifties, sixties, um, right now, um, some even older. Um, food is very important to them. You know, like food is the most important thing there is. You wake up, you eat, you have lunch, you you have dinner, and everything revolves around what you eat and when. And um, they cannot stand waste of food. Um, so I think that's something that brings people together. Like, for example, when the vegetables arrive, and like the first time I threw away vegetables, my the grandpa next to me was really upset. He was like, how can you waste food? Because you imagine what it was like when he was young, right? Of course. He's like, you cannot waste food. Even if it's, even if it's sloppy, even if it's spoiled, you never throw away food. I said, what the hell? They're treating us like pigs, you know? He said, it's don't care about like them treating us like pigs. You don't throw away food. 
And then he like took the food and like one by one brushed off all the slime and like found the ones that weren't so broken. Oh yeah, we did that as well. I mean, we we had things like um, let me think for a second what what we had, but uh, oh we 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 had something from Joseph's company come in, and it was a chicken and a pack of 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 pork. Now, when we opened mm. these, I, I kind of smelled something. So when I took them out of the package, it became quite clear that they were they were completely spoiled because I guess the logistics had taken too much time and the ice pack had melted. But we did spend most of mm. the afternoon that day considering how we would cook this and how we would try to eat this, despite the fact that mm-hmm. it was completely spoiled. Like if this was any mm. time out of the uh, lockdown and, and it wasn't so mm. difficult to get meats, we would never in a hundred mm. years be discussing like, oh, how should we cook this chicken to, to remove the smell? And eventually um, mm. we gave up on the idea because we did boil it and we did season it with some things. But the, the stench was still just so overpowering that none of us mm. um, agreed to even take a like we had a small bite and then we all became mm. instantly nauseous. So we did mm. we did consider it, though, even even us, all of us um, in the apartment who are, are all very young and we never experienced anything so dramatic. We were still considering like, okay, well, we haven't had meat for a while. Maybe we should try to eat this. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not completely spoiled. We were doing like Google research to see, can you eat rotten chicken? Can you eat rotten pork? Right. right. So exactly. I think um, this exactly. this has been a big issue for most people. Yeah. I think it's it's quite good for human beings. To, I mean, listen, I'm not going to say I'm, I, the way that things have been done has, has been quite irresponsible, I think. But um, just because you have to take it positively, right? Of course, you have days and you don't. But overall, you want to come out of this one day um, as a better, stronger person who can who can learn, who can be. And I think everything we've gone through, like that experience with your chicken like and my experience with like throwing away those vegetables, like it made me realize that there are people in the world where this is their reality on a daily basis and how strong they must be. And, and also to keep your self-respect because for me, the reason I threw those vegetables back at the person was because I felt like they were just respecting me and that I would just respect myself by eating those vegetables. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But suddenly I, I realized like, who am I slapping in the face here? Do you live alone? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your immediate? Ah, so I live by myself. I live basically in this old mansion. They split up the entire house into different rooms. So I live in the old, they call it Yeah, It's like the old uh, wet nurse room. So it's like a servant room, basically. Okay. It has a flat roof. It's, it's kind of in the basement. Um, then um, we have three levels. on the And they're all families that have lived here for generations. So And all Shanghainese. So the first floor is a Shanghainese family. The second floor is me. Another guy who works for a big um, IT company, international IT company, because our rooms were separated, and then an old man. And then on the third floor, there's another Shanghainese family. So basically, there's three families who own this, every floor. Um, and these are government, um, it's a government building, but um, obviously, they rent out um, to, to get some cash right on the, on the side. Do you usually cook for one or do you cook, cook for anyone one. else? I cook for one. Um, mm. Of course, if I have extra and I don't finish um, or like we want to share, but we still do keep our lives pretty separate. Um, on occasion, we, we we don't eat together, but we'll help. We'll make each other things. But 
um, the people I have most contact with are the grandpa next door. And then there's another neighbor, the guy who works for the international IT company, um, who lives next to the grandpa. Okay. And we see each other like once at some point. So what are some of the things that you've been cooking? Like what, what have you been cooking towards the beginning of the lockdown and what have you been cooking towards the end of it? Interesting question. Um, you know, I, because my lifestyle is, is super, super active and I'm usually like, like I said, I sleep at home. I'm, I'm literally from the first thing in the morning till at night, I'm busy um, elsewhere. So I've never really had super good eating habits. So I eat really, really simply. Usually um, now because of COVID, um, you know, you don't have a lot of things like as work as not as busy, you know, you don't have as much to fill your time. So the morning is like super, super simple, like probably normally just oats or if there's bread, you have bread. In the beginning, obviously, you could have something like bread, but later on, you realize you don't have to, then oats becomes like the, the staple. Or if oats runs out, you start to become more local because as a foreigner, of course, you're going to prefer to eat foreign food. But like if you, as time goes on, you, you don't. So then rice, like they make dough, you know, the rice porridge, yep. right? You start to become more local. And then at lunchtime, um, normally, because usually with, um, I guess, young people's lifestyles, we don't like to eat a lot of carbs, you know, but then in Chinese traditional culture, carbs are a really staple part of food. So in the beginning, I would just have salad and some and some protein. But then as you can't keep green vegetables, you know, as time goes on, you start to have to, you know, maybe have potatoes and, and something if you have meat and meat as portions in the beginning probably were bigger. And now as time goes on, portions get smaller. And then um, eggs, you know, are really good. There are quite a lot of eggs around. So eggs are quite important for lunchtime. And then supper time, usually it's just like very, very small. If you have fruit, you have fruit. Obviously, as time goes on, fruit runs out. And then you, you start to just find something small to pick at. But meals are smaller um, and very, very simple, for me at least, because I, I'm not really used to spending a lot of time um, on food. But um, also what's been quite interesting is they gave, um, you know, the local government has given supplies once in a while. And they have, but obviously the supplies are very, very local. So then it's interesting, like they'll give you like pigeon in like a packet or they'll give you like pork in a packet or something. Oh, you got pigeon. These are things that are pigeon or like there's also like duck. Yeah, they give how you like you random cook, things. How did you cook like the pigeon? This is the interesting part. I didn't know how because it's like I've never seen this thing before, <laughs> you know. So then um, the grandpa next to me um, was very concerned because the IT guy, the international IT guy, was throwing away this local food that he got because he doesn't eat it. And the grandpa was getting very, very frustrated. And the guy's Chinese, so he, for culture reasons, he could not go up to the guy and, and, and like criticize him. So then he asked me to please speak to the other guy to save the food. So you can imagine what I'm spending my time. Basically, I spend my time trying to settle quarrels and, and negotiate with people. That's what I'm doing. So then... I had to go find to the international guy and say to him, listen, the grandpa's getting very upset that you're throwing away this, that next thing. Please, can you just give it to me and he'll stop worrying about food being wasted. So then basically all the, the, the chicken and not chicken, the, 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 the whatever, the duck and the pigeon and the other random stuff comes to me and the pink sausage, of course, oh, comes God. to me. And then I, because the old man doesn't have a fridge, you know, and he doesn't have a phone. Oh so, no, like, the old man doesn't have a fridge? No, so I'm holding the old man's pink sausages and God knows what else. 
inside my fridge. So my fridge smells like I've never smelled these smells before in my life because I would never eat this stuff. You know, I can't. I'm not used to it. I don't know what it is. The old grandpa saw that I was never eating meat because I ran out, right? So then he said, oh, I'll help you to make this duck or whatever it was. So I said, okay. And all he did was he steamed it. And actually, it was quite good. And I would (laughs) never have known that unless the virus came. I would never buy that and I'd never eat it. But actually, it's pretty interesting, you know? I think that's amazing to hear that you had steamed um, pigeon from a neighbor. Yeah. Slowly but surely, you start to accept more. And it's actually not a bad thing. Human beings, I think survival instinct is really, really strong. So I'm grateful, really, to the old grandpa next door. I mean, of course, I get get bugged all the time for the fridge space. And he's very worried that food is being stolen. And food is, you know, like I said, food is an obsession for this generation. It's been really interesting. Um, I guess probably another thing that I want to touch on was that I wanted to give people a sense of what it means for different types of people to be locked down. Because in essence, you're probably the most athletic person that I know in in kind of our circle who's not a professional athlete. And obviously you work in a job that requires quite a lot of socializing at times. So this is this is different from someone like, for example, me who spends time at home outside of work and um, does these kind of uh, activities on my own. Whereas you, you're kind of suddenly confined to a small space that you would never have been in, um, in, in normal circumstances. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about how you spend your time. And then you can kind of give us uh, a little bit of a view on how this changed after the lockdown. Right. Honestly, lockdown lifestyle is the complete opposite to how I usually would spend my time. Usually because I, I work for a luxury um, store in management. So basically from morning till dark, depending on clients' needs, I will be at the store. I will be where I need to, where I need to work. And, and then I'd rush to gym for like two hours, um, you know, to get a workout in and then or two or three hours. And then I, I go to work. And then during work, if I have some time to eat, I won't eat. I will go work out. And then I rush back and I secretly eat and then I work, work, work. And then I at later on in the evening, I sneak out to go do another workout because in our industry, you only, you, it's like you're living, living on stolen time, but I'm an exercise addict, right? So I have to balance both my work and my exercise. So I, my focus for exercise, I do rock climbing twice a week. I do pole dancing three to four times a week, which is a big focus of mine. I go to gym every day. I um, do yoga twice a week. Um, I do stretching every day. I do spinning. I used to be a spinning instructor. I do spinning twice a week. Um, I'm no longer instructing because I can't find the time. So you can hear with this amount of exercise I'm doing plus a full-time job, I'm basically never home. So you can imagine like with this lifestyle, oh my God, you know, suddenly I have no pole. I can't hold on. I have no rock wall. I can't rock. <laughs> I can't rock climb. Um, I have no spinning bike. I can't do spinning. I don't have a gym. So I don't have, you know, the machines or the weights or a barbell dumbbell you know what the hell do you do right yeah <laughs> um so initially i was honestly like almost like i felt castrated you know i, felt, <laughs> I literally felt i felt as though i was powerless i felt like i am no one i have nothing i i i felt as if my life had no meaning <laughs> i i'm not i know i'm sounding dramatic but honestly speaking with my whole life was just surrounded by these things but I never realized how I always needed something in order to achieve or to actually complete the exercises I was doing. So um, 
I really started to understand and appreciate the value of exercise that does not require any tools or any additional support, like your own body. For example, yoga. It's such a powerful exercise. I mean, it's so good for you. It really helps you to be in tune with your own body. You do see change. And with flexibility, there is so much more you are able to accomplish with your body. That's a really powerful exercise. Pilates super good like you don't need any other tools like such a good idea for your body alignment and it helps you to think and more clearly and to really feel the power within your own body also using your creative mind you know before gyms existed i mean it's not as if back in the day of like the gladiators they were like had a gym to work on it or you know what i'm saying like they use rocks and 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 trees and and whatever was there you know so i realized like geez like he's kind of using your brain for the first time I'm actually using my brain when I exercise you know mm. like I constructed this I have to send you a video it's hilarious so upstairs at the washing line I literally just use the washing line upstairs and basically it's a flat roof with these um, gutters and the gutters are holes in the wall so then I just created my own little grid that I could use for resistance bands training and um, and, and and that was and like resistance bands are as good as weights and actually very difficult in many ways for stabilization and that helps you to understand your body even more which muscle you're working at what point so i'm not going to say that i love it because i obviously have insecurities about how much i know but i am going to say that i am using my brain more than i was using before and i am learning my body more than i was before and i'm also actually i'm connecting with people more because if i don't know something i have to call them and i'm connecting with society more because they will go onto youtube and learn and it's me voluntarily going to go research something instead of it being spoon-fed to me in a class. So, you know, everything's possible because if you think about everything that exists in a gym or in the sports industry was derived from something, that, from something someone made with their own two hands. So why can't we just go back to that? Just theoretically, obviously, we don't want to jinx anything, but how long do you think you could last um, in terms of additional lockdown time? <laughs> uh, I think I could do another month. Wow, that's encouraging to hear. Yeah, I could. I, I don't think I'd have a problem like to do that. I would just accept it as my new life. Well, has um, your work been affected? If I had to go on for another, say, for example, three months or longer, I'd start to hurt a bit because rent is still the same. Because, you know, food is one thing um, because you can share if you have to. But rent is still the same and it's really high in Shanghai. So I think that um, that's the one thing I'd be very, very worried about. As a veteran, kind of longtime professional of the fashion industry, what would you say is your predictions for what's going to happen after the lockdown is over, at least specifically in Shanghai? Do you think that this is going to kind of come back with a vengeance, the so-called revenge spending where everyone's going to get spend more money than usual? Or is there going to be some kind of fundamental change to the um, luxury market? Interesting question. Um, I believe that um, people are going to react in different ways. For those that, for example, are business owners um, who were able to do um, very, very well um, when society was running normally, and now their businesses have been affected and possibly are even suffering during this time i don't think they're going to be going out there celebrating with their money but for those people who are more cautious with their money and how they've invested it or how they spend it or even online spending stuff or whatever 
um, where they've managed to get through the loopholes, or maybe they even prepared for something like this and haven't financially been affected that much, I think they'll be very happy to continue spending. This lockdown has been so severe and it's, it's been so real. And I think you can't have come, you cannot have come out of this lockdown as you were before. There's no way. Even if you're super, super wealthy and you have relationships all over the place, you still had to struggle to get food at some point. Even some of my very, very wealthy clients, I asked them for advice because, I mean, for example, I don't have face cream. They said, darling, forget about it. You're not going to get face cream. And if my very wealthy client is telling me that, then I assume that she cannot get it either. So <laughs> therefore, therefore, we're all in the same boat here. But um, um, just based off um, the number of clients I've been speaking to that are just quite somber in their replies and are not able to help with supplies and they themselves do not have things that they usually can't go without, um, I don't think they're going to be running to go purchase a lot of luxury items. You know, actually, it's really good that you're doing these podcasts because, you know, I think often um, people outside don't understand, like, what it's like for foreigners to live here in Shanghai, well, in China, because actually it is so different. Because I was a foreigner living in New York before, and it was totally different because everyone's like a foreigner there in a way, you know, like not everyone, but, you know, there, there are a lot of people, international people living there, people who that come and go, some people have been there for generations, some who just arrived. But this is different. Like the majority of people here are not, they maybe they come from different cities, which is also, it also does count as not being local, but you know, and it's a very different story. It's a very different dialogue. It's a different way of experiencing things. So I think it will be very interesting to listen after the, afterwards to everyone's stories and how they react. Well, I guess then I have one last question for you. When you get out, what's going to be the first thing that you eat and what's going to be the first thing that you do? <laughs> oh, 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 uh, okay, oh, it gets quite emotional. I will run. I'm just going to run. I'm going to go for a big run. I just, just to feel my legs move, mm-hmm. I really miss moving. I miss, miss, I miss my legs moving. I miss walking more than two steps, you know. <laughs> I'll run. I'll, I'll run. Um, and then the first thing I eat will be ice cream. I really feel like ice cream because it's getting hot now. <laughs> and Shanghai heat is intense. It's, it's, yeah, I need ice cream, I think. Sorbet. I want sorbet. I want like some kind of raspberry or something. Strawberry or raspberry sorbet. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of what your experience in lockdown has been. And um, obviously, I can't wait until the day that we're able to go for that run and go have a, a scoop or two of gelato. Yes, my friend. This is the most talking I've done in all the months that we've been stuck here. <laughs> oh my God, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. All right, well, that's all for this episode, but don't worry because we have new intriguing anecdotes and adventures coming out each week to keep you sane and entertained. If you did like this episode, please leave us a rating and give us a shout out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Better yet, share it on social media or any WeChat groups you're in. Likewise, if you have any thoughts or questions for us, or if you have a great story you'd like to tell us about your wild lockdown experiences, please leave a review because we'd love to hear about it. Catch you next time and stay hungry, Shanghai. A Talkomatic Media Production.